If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, you look at the news, you listen to the news, you watch television, and it seems so often as if you're overwhelmed with a constant bombardment of negativity. And it's so easy to get despondent. It's so easy to get down in the dumps. It's so easy when you read a story about a horrible crime that's taking place. It's so easy to get despondent when you read about uh, things like climate change or the fate of the world or people at war with one another or children starving or whatever it is that manages to depress you. If you read the newspaper, watch television or listen to it on the, ra- on a, the radio on a regular basis, there is plenty of opportunity to be Depressed. Well, that is when I find it's more important than ever to turn to a gentleman who I believe can write prescriptions, but I'm not sure he's authorized to write a prescription for happiness, even though he put, he he doses that out as plentiful as any any drug. And that is Jeffrey Gurian, a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a host, an author, a producer, a director, a former dentist, and a guy who I I have dubbed the world's foremost authority on all things related to happiness. Jeffrey, it is great to see you. Thanks for coming in studio. Frank, thanks so much. It's always so great to be on with you, and especially the number one rated show on WABC. That's saying a lot. Thank you very much. I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, now, I, I'm a, I was a little surprised that you agreed to my request to come in because I know you're Jewish, and today is Yom Kippur. Well, how did you get away? How did you get away with that? Did you get a special uh, dispensation from the Jewish Pope or something? Wait till I tell you this. I'm so confused that I fasted today instead of tomorrow. Uh, see, I fasted on the wrong day. I don't even know my own religion. I was so caught up in the fact that I was going to dinner at my ex-wife's house with her husband and my whole family, which is another thing I like to talk about because I honor my ex-wife for giving me my children. Wonderful. And we have a great relationship. And I go to the house that I used to own, which was a lovely house (laughs) in Westchester. But we all celebrate together. As a matter of fact, you know, after we got divorced, she adopted two, two children and had one of her own. And that little girl grew up and had a baby of her own, and I brought a present for the baby tonight. Oh, that's wonderful. Because that's how I like to lead my life. That's great. And to try to eliminate negativity. No, there was you know? no no resentment, no bitterness, nothing bittersweet about going to your old house that you used to pay for? <laughs> you know, in the beginning, it probably felt strange, but I got used to it because I wanted my family to be happy. That's wonderful. You know, that's great. And I think it's very important. And I wanted my children to grow up in the same house that they would have grown up in if I stayed. And I put all that other stuff aside. I could have been bothered by it, but I chose not to. It's about controlling your mind. That's a favorite topic of mine, controlling your thoughts. So to all my Jewish friends and a lot of the Jewish listeners, yeah. I would say, have an easy fast. I don't need to tell you that because you've already, I already fasted. fasted. Okay. I felt so stupid admitting that. I got to the house and I was like, I'm really hungry. And, I, and they said, why did you fast today? It's tomorrow. And I'm like, that's my ADHD. I'm so confused all the time. Maybe that's why I... I, I, you know, I look for positivity. Who fasts on the wrong day? That's very funny. <laughs> Isn't I that ridiculous? You, I, I, the most common question that I ask my smart speaker at home is what day it is. Because I have no idea what day it is. Because well, if it's after midnight, I start I, my day on, on Tuesday. I end it on Wednesday. I still can't grasp yeah, that. When I call you and we talk about right, what day I'm coming right. on, I'm like Tuesday night. To me, this is Tuesday night. But I know it's Wednesday morning. Right. When you but, have to, when you start then dealing with people in other times, zones, people in California, people in Europe, and they say, all right, so you're going to come on uh, Tuesday at 1030. I said, wait a minute, do you mean Tuesday night at 1030 <laughs> your time? Or do you mean Wednesday morning? It's, it's a well, big uh, big thing. I've gotten parking tickets because of that, because oh. those signs are very confusing. It are. says no parking Tuesday or Thursday from like... 
you know, from 2 a.m. to whatever, when I used to stay out late, I would get tickets because I couldn't figure it out. Cops don't even understand sometimes. Uh, now, that is— It's the next day. That is for sure. If people are just tuning in, uh, this we're talking with Jeffrey Gurian. He's my guest for the hour. We'll take your calls at uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800 848 9222. And Jeffrey, for people that haven't heard our previous conversations, because we have a lot of new listeners in Baltimore and Nevada and some other places. And congratulations on that. Thank by you the way. very That's much. So awesome. um, people may not be familiar with you. You made a very interesting career transition. It is very unique uh, from what I, or I, you're not supposed to say very unique. It is totally <laughs> unique from what I have seen. And uh, you went from being a dentist to a comedy writer, a comedy producer, a comedy. Pro- uh, Everything comedian. And I, there's a wonderful short form documentary that I just linked to on my Facebook page. And it's called Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian? It's hysterical and it really does a great job telling people who you are in only 17 minutes. But um, if you were to explain to people that aren't familiar with you, why did you choose to make that transition from dentistry, where you had a very successful practice, a lot of clients that are always getting their teeth knocked out, like Curtis Lee? What? I was his dentist. <laughs> How did you go from being uh, such a successful dentist to so successful in the world of comedy? It was a very gradual transition. When I was 12 years old, and by the way, I just want to wish everyone who celebrates a very happy and a healthy, sweet New Year. Absolutely, because you were kind enough to mention that. And as long as you're not doing stuff for money, and I we don't get, I don't get paid for this, right. so it's fine. I'm not doing. It's creative. I'm bringing goodness to the world with this, and Absolutely. so it's fine. I think to do it on the holiday. I'll double check with my rabbi tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it was a very gradual transition while I was in practice. Like well. well when I was 12 years old, I must have been a really weird kid because I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew I couldn't handle life and death situations because I'm, I was very sensitive. And I was having braces at the time. And I said, you know, this is nice. I could be an orthodontist and I'll make people look beautiful. And I was already writing comedy at 12 years old. So my whole life was that split. I, I never changed what I wanted to do from the time I was 12 years old, which is very unusual. And while I was in practice, I was a cosmetic specialist, and I was already writing for Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers and uh, Milton Berle and Jerry Lewis, and I was the writer for the Friars Club for 12 years while I was in practice. And my nurse had strict instructions, never interrupt me when I'm with a patient unless it's for show business. (laughs) So she would come in and she'd say, Dr. Rivers is on the phone, Dr. Lewis is calling – the only one no one believed was Dr. Dangerfield. <laughs> no, no one ever believed. So I would take the call, you know, and I would write jokes in between patients sometimes. Or like if the Friars Club would call me. One time I had to leave in a snowstorm to host a show with Gilbert Gottfried, who was always my favorite comedian for so many years. And rest in peace Absolutely. to Gilbert. Absolutely. Still you such know. a shame that we Fan- lost. So what, what a fantastic talent. talent. An amazing guy. And so... I did that, to, you know, for many years, I was doing both at the same time, which is a very difficult thing to do. It's not like I had a choice. It was just like I could never make up my mind which I liked best. I loved making people beautiful. I loved doing painless dentistry. And then I became a professor at, at NYU, a clinical professor in oral medicine and orofacial pain. And I was still doing that. I did that for 12 years. And my specialty was treating TMJ which I like to talk about because in this country alone, Frank, there's more than 150 million people who suffer with what they think are migraine headaches that really come from their jaw. Mm. From stress, we clench and grind our teeth. And the last three years have been so stressful for people that a lot of dentists are reporting that people are coming in with cracked teeth, broken fillings, cracked crowns and stuff, and headaches. And too many dentists don't ask if you're like... If you wake up in the morning and your neck hurts, the last person in the world you would think to tell would be your dentist, right? Why would you ever tell your dentist that your neck hurts? It wouldn't occur to you. So if the dentist doesn't ask you when you wake up in the morning, do you have pain in your neck or your shoulders or your back, you're not going to know that it could be coming from your jaw because the muscles from the jaw, interestingly enough, go into the temple region. They go behind your head in what they call the occipital region and down into the shoulders in the trapezius region. And those muscles, when they when they are overworked, it's like, have you ever had a, a cramp in your calf? Sure. You know absolutely. how painful that yes. is, right? Well, your head feels like bone, but it's really bone covered by a thin layer of muscle. And when those muscles get overworked, they go into spasm, and that's where the headaches come from. So it's very important that 
that becomes part of being checked. When you have your teeth checked, they should also check the muscles in your face and ask you if you have neck pain. And if so, then I would make people a soft night guard for the hmm. lower teeth. I've been wearing one for years. So we're, we're, you mentioned it before about the negativity that we're surrounded with. Everything you read is negative. Crime is out of control. The news is bad, you know. I have to constantly remind myself to stay positive. Like, it's been raining for four days here right. in New York, right. right? Very easy to be in a bad mood, to feel mm-hmm. depressed. And I was feeling it because I'm very sensitive. I'm an empath. So I feel what you feel. I have no choice in the matter. And I was walking in the street and I was feeling kind of down. And then I said, you know what? This is the remainder of the hurricane in Florida. Those people lost their homes. Right. They were swept away. People died, and I'm going to feel sad that it's raining? Well, you know, I gave a similar commentary yesterday urging people to take advantage of the gray weather, to do some uh, some indoor activities, read a book, listen to some podcasts that you haven't had time to, write some letters, or even watch a movie. And uh, I, I find it to be a great excuse not to do any of your outdoor chores, right? Because you don't feel guilty if you're not uh, building a shed or doing anything else when it's raining like this. But I, I was going to ask you this a little bit later in theme with some of the books that you've written, but since that you mentioned this now, you mentioned all the reasons there are to be negative. Intellectually, I think people listening to us understand the importance of staying positive and the importance of finding a a silver lining. But a lot of times that's easier said than done. Absolutely. Right? Oh, um, you're reading okay. about a monkeypox outbreak and a COVID outbreak. Oh, and just when you're over monkeypox and COVID, here comes the flu. You're reading about crime. Maybe the people that you uh, support to get elected aren't getting elected. How do you manage to, even though you understand the importance of staying positive, right. how do you manage it? If everything in your life is seemingly negative or everything you encounter is negative— how do you manage to stay positive through all that? It's a battle. It's a constant It's a constant thing. For me personally, I learned to control my mind when I cured myself of stuttering. And that's something that I also like to talk about because people need to hear that. Because in this country alone, I think there are more than 3 million people who wow. stutter. And it affects not only them but their families. And I stuttered from the time I was 7 through my 20s and beyond. And I had to cure myself because I, I, I refused to go through my life as a stutterer. Um, and I realized one day I didn't stutter when I was alone. I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to somebody else. And I consider it grace. I figured out you can't have a disability based on your location, right? Like if a man has a limp, he limps in every room right. of his house. He can't go into a room and close the door and walk perfectly. But if I could speak okay when I'm alone, theoretically it means there's nothing wrong with me. And I realized that I needed to take control of my mind, that I created this for myself. I created a false disability. And it took me several years of very hard work to realize I was holding thoughts that were not valid for me. And all of us do that. You, everybody oh, in the absolutely. world, we're all holding thoughts that were not valid for us, many of them from childhood. And it was the essence of my first book on happiness. is called Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. And it's about releasing the pains of our childhood that every, every time, from the time we're kids, every time someone hurts your feelings, breaks a promise to you, bullies you, makes fun of you, breaks up with you in a relationship, all that stuff stays inside of you, lodged in your heart chakra. And it affects your self-esteem and your self-confidence because every time, every time you have to make a decision in your life, you think about what to do. You mm. use your thoughts, right? And if your thoughts are not valid, if you're holding negative thoughts about yourself, your decisions aren't going to work out. So it's the reason why people get the same bad job over and over again or they're in the same bad relationship. Mm. And so I had to learn to control my thoughts and release the negative thoughts that I had about myself and take what must have been an inferiority complex and turn it into a superiority complex, not to feel better than other people, but just to feel even. 
Um, we're talking with Jeffrey Gurian. If you want to learn more about some of the things that he's doing, you can go to ComedyMattersTV.com. That's ComedyMattersTV.com. You can also check out uh, all of his books. Most of them, if not all of them, are available on Amazon. Just search his last name, Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N. It is Yom Kippur. You mentioned a lot of the terrific Jewish comedians that you've worked with over the years. If you had to pick a favorite, either someone that you're a fan of uh, that you've not worked with or someone that you have worked with, who is your absolute favorite Jewish comedian? You know, that's such an interesting question. I got to work with the greats from the golden age. And I date myself when I say this, but I also work with all the young guys from today. Mm -hmm. So that saves me. But Milton Berle was my sponsor in the Friars Club. And he's the guy that gave the Friars Club to the Friars Club. I think he owned that building first. Uh, I got to work with Jackie Mason. I got to work with Sid Caesar, you know, um, Henny Youngman, Jerry Lewis. I got to write with Jerry Lewis two nights alone in his hotel room working with just him on his when he was being roasted by the Friars Club. And while I was with him, he got a phone call that they discovered the gene that caused the Duchenne form of muscular dystrophy. And I watched tears roll down his face. He was so moved by that. And it was just he and I to share that moment. You know, I wrote a movie for Jackie Mason. I got to meet uh, a lot of the greats, the Jewish greats. You know, in the old days, all comedians were Jewish. Right. It was very rare to find a comedian who wasn't. And so, you know, it's, it's... very interesting to me. And as a matter of fact, now, I can't tell you all the details, but, I, but I'm going to break it on your show. I'm involved in creating a television show uh, about the Borscht Belt. Oh, really? Yes. The Catskills and that yeah. whole year. And it's going to be a series. And I can't say more than that right now, but I'll be able to say it soon because it's going to be officially announced. But it's going to be very exciting. And if you, if you like Mrs. Maisel... You will love oh, this show. Love Mrs. Mason. Yeah, then you will love this well, that's show. Terrific. It's said in the same era. Can you give us so, a timetable? What's the timetable for when people might actually be able to see it, or when it'll be in production? Give us well. Uh, there's a hint. A, there's a, a documentary also being done. I would say in about a year. In well, about a year exciting. from now, it's very very exciting, and I'm part of the writing team. So that's great. Uh, I'm that's... really looking forward to that. But you know, Jewish humor, you know, and in those days it. It, it, you know, it all had to be clean. If you wanted to work on TV, Jerry Seinfeld is a great example of that. A great wordsmith. Always works clean. It, I, I'm a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld. His stand-up and his show, everything he does. It, yesterday was also Hispanic Heritage Day. If you had to pick best, either from any era, best Hispanic comedian of all time, or best one, your favorite. Not oh, bad. Who's gee. to say what's best? Who's that your is, favorite? That is, that is so hard. Um, who did I... You know, I I like John Leguizamo. Mm. I like his one-man shows. And I got to be friendly with him for a while. I haven't seen him in a long time. But um, And uh, who else? You know, there's... It's on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember. Uh, hey, John Leguizamo uh, is a pretty good answer. John Leguizamo is great. I used to see him quite often. That's terrific. Hey, Jeffrey Gurian is here. We're going to take your calls throughout the hour, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. In just a moment, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Jeffrey's newest book uh, and some really interesting stories that he profiles in that book. We'll find out what else he's up to these days and uh, get his perspective on a variety of things happening in life. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno joined for the hour by Jeffrey Gurian. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Ricky Martin, he's certainly living La Vida Loca uh, in the aftermath of, uh, not the aftermath, the, uh, the day after Hispanic Heritage Day. Every day is a good day for celebrating the Hispanic contributions to our country. I was hoping there would be a little bit more leftover Spanish food in the kitchen, but they, I mean, when there's good Spanish food, they they 
eat all that up. It lasts all of ten minutes. It's true. It's true. I had uh, I had tacos yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about that. It was National uh, Taco Day. My guest for the hour is comedy writer, stand-up comic, host, author, producer, director, and former dentist Jeffrey Gurian. Hey Jeffrey, I saw uh, the uh, a recent edition of Dan's Papers, which is a big paper out on the East End of Long Island, and uh, my friend Todd Shapiro did this terrific profile all about uh, you. Uh, congratulations. And uh, I think that was a really a great article, an article that kind of captures your essence really well in a short amount of time. Thanks. Thanks. You know, it, it's really a, a big honor when somebody does something like that. And you mentioned that documentary that was done about me. Also, it's a very strange feeling to see your life like in a film. From the time I was a child, they, they showed the progression of you know, and me teaching at NYU, and me working with all the comedians and interviewing people on red carpets, it actually brought tears to my That's eyes. That's wonderful. That's you wonderful. Know, it was a very moving experience, and this article in Dan's papers, it was a great, a great honor. I was at a PAL luncheon, and Vicky Schneps approached me she, from Schneps sure, Media. Sure, I know Vicky. Yeah, yeah, and you know John Katsimatidis always hosts these PAL luncheons, and she came over to me and she goes. You look very interesting. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone thinks I'm in the music business, which is like crazy. I was at Rockers on Broadway last night, and three women came over to me and thanked me for my contributions to the music world. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> what, what did you say? You welcome? I just said thank you. Yeah, it was so noisy that I couldn't get into I was curious to know who they thought I was. Because I was on a cruise once, and a guy was convinced that I was Elton John. <laughs> and he followed me for three days, and he kept... I thought he was a lunatic because he kept coming over and saying, thank you for the red piano. And I didn't know Elton John had an album called The Red Piano. I just thought he was a maniac. But, uh, didn't they uh, see that you didn't have an English accent or anything like that? This guy was, was supposedly an eye surgeon. And he, fa- he went over to a friend of mine and he said to him, is that who I think it is? <laughs> and my friend, who has a good sense of humor, never said, who do you think it is? He just said, yes. I love so, it. That's so great. Said, That's brilliant. So the guy literally followed me for three days. And then he sent a very expensive drink to my table. And, and I said, listen, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm not that person. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it, it, you know, it happens a lot. So Vicky Schnepp said to me, we need to do an article about you. And that's how it came about. And so Todd Shapiro wrote a great article. And, you know, he's a great press agent. Absolutely. One of the best. Everybody, and a good he, friend. He represents everybody on Long Island. Yeah, no, he, he's All the hot terrific. restaurants, 75 Main and uh, the Capri Hotel. Absolutely. Todd Shapiro is there all the time. Uh, no, he's, he's, where, he's everywhere. And I'm glad you're at that uh, PAL luncheon. Um, the, the work that our bosses, John and Margot Katsimatidis, put into the PAL luncheon rivals what they do in any other aspect of life. They put into they put more work and more effort into those police athletic league luncheons than they do, I think, their profit-making businesses. So I'm glad that uh, that you were there. It's always a really special event. I met so many great people, too, and I got to thank John personally for what he's done at WABC. Wonderful. What a great lineup of talent. And, you know, I thank every cop I see. I walk up to them in the street, even when they're in groups, when they're in their cars, I knock on the window. They probably think something's wrong. And I say, I just want to thank you guys for your service because we need you so much. And the police they athletic league. Oh, I'm, I'm not surprised. The police athletic league specifically, people get concerned about things like crime. By providing uh, other alternatives to things like gangs and drugs for youth, uh, but through sports and through other things like that, it really is so meaningful in terms of having youth not go down a uh, a wayward a wayward path. Talking with Jeffrey Gurian, your newest happiness book is Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. It's a collection of true stories of very courageous people who overcame some serious obstacles to lead happy, meaningful lives. We want people to check out the book. It's called Facing Adversity. They could get it on Amazon. But just give us at least one story that you of somebody that you profiled in the book that you found inspirational. Well, something happened recently that really brought it home. I write about all people that that overcame tremendous difficulties. And there was one, an, an actress, a double amputee named Katie Sullivan. And I wrote about her in the book. And just the other day, I actually brought the article. I read the New York Post every day since I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. I love the New York Post. And there's a whole article about how she's going to be starring on Broadway in a show called The Cost of Living. And she's going to play... Uh, 
a woman who winds up in a wheelchair due to a serious car accident, and she's a, a Paralympic uh, champion, a runner. She started running in her 20s. She was born without lower legs. Wow. And uh, I guess and she wore prosthetics from the time she was a child, but when she was 20 years old, she started running, believe it or not, and they gave her these special legs, runner's legs, and... She's amazing. She dances. She does all kinds of things. And now she's going to be starring on Broadway. And I love stories like that. I started collecting them over a period of 20 years. There's one story that stands out to me that, I mean, not that that doesn't blow me away, but a little three-year-old boy playing hide-and-seek puts his hands in a tractor and his hands get cut off. Mm. And his father sees this happening, and his father happened to be a surgeon, but not that kind of surgeon, not a transplant surgeon. He races the little boy to the hospital, and it's a holiday, and there's no surgeons available who can do that kind of work. So the father assembles a team and works for nine hours to reattach his little boy's hands. He puts them in casts. Three months later, he takes off the cast. The hands are alive. The transplants took, but they're not functional. The hands aren't functional. The grandfather happens to be a martial arts expert and trains this little boy every day growing up to use his hands. And today, that little boy is a famous spinal surgeon. Wow. And he runs the spinal surgery clinic at a hospital in Colorado. That's terrific. I love that. That that story is so amazing to me. And those are the kind of stories that people need to hear because they're inspirational. Uh, No doubt about it. So those are both... The kinds of stories that are in the book, that are in the facing, book facing adversity. adversity, stories of courage and inspiration. And people can check that out on, on Amazon. Amazon, along with my other happiness books, the happiness series. Uh, th- no, that's terrific. 800-848-9222. Let's take a couple of calls uh, for Jeffrey Gurian while he's in studio. Let me, begin with, uh, let me begin with Jeff in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great. Let me thank Frank Morano for bringing you, Dr. Gurian, to my attention. Unbelievable. You know, last time, the time before that, and then now again tonight. It's just, I look forward to learning all about you and reading your, your material. Overcoming, thank you. Overcoming stuttering, something I, I did as a boy also. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I like the self-esteem thing you said about it, but whatever it was, I, I had to face that, that nightmare too for a while. Um, when you said the rain, you know, the, you turned, you, you did a 180 with the rain. You said, look, the, you know, this is the rain remnant from the hurricane, and all we get is bad skies. Other people lost their lives, and that, you know, that's a Jewish, or that's making the best of. My dad, he was a dentist, but coincidentally, and he was we're Jewish, and we were, you know, secular but Jewish, and. He, the, I remember as a boy, the the, the expression was, when, when things would go bad, to make it better, I'm, I'm choking up because, you know, my parents, I was 10 years old. I learned the expression, that's life under the czar. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you, you know that well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, but I appreciate your call. I appreciate you talking about that you used to stutter. People need to know that you can get better. People, they're not being told that. There are stuttering institutes that are teaching people to accept their stuttering. And acceptance is for things you can't change. If you know the serenity prayer, it's grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the most important thing. So when you cured yourself of stuttering, you become an inspiration to other people. Right, and um, you, the th- when you were writing jokes back for your your your, your uh, receptionist, rece- your, your your person would say, would come and say, Doctor Lewis has. <laughs> that was very funny, Jeff. Uh, thanks Thank for you. calling. I'm glad you're doing well. Thanks for listening, and uh, good luck with everything. Okay, P- appreciate it. Eight hundred eight for you know you're not supposed to say Happy Yom Kippur, right? What are you supposed to say? Just, you can uh, you say Have a sweet New Year, or, okay. you know. Have a sweet New Year. Got it. 800-848-9222. Speaking of uh, of happiness, you are making available your first happiness book uh, for free to people. How do they get a free copy of your first happiness? A mini copy. Mini copy. It's not the whole copy, but it's enough that they can get a taste of the book. And if they want to order the rest, they can. People don't have long attention spans Um, now anyway. So how do they get the free mini copy? On my website, ComedyMattersTV.com. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see pictures of the book. And if you enter your email and your first and last name... You get you automatically get a, a mini copy of the book. Wonderful. Uh, and, now that first happiness book has inspired a new chapter in your own life. You've actually now launched a new coaching business. What, yeah. what is this? What are you doing exactly? 
It's very interesting. You know, you never know what words you say that people need to hear. And I wrote this book because I needed to express myself. As I told you, I'm an empath. And my goal is always to put out positive energy to the universe. And I realized that if I went through stuff like this, that other people are going through it too. So I wanted to put out a book that would be inspirational and teach people how to let go of painful memories and things that they're holding on to that are interfering with their happiness. Well, I got such a tremendous response. It's got more than 275, mostly five-star reviews of people who wrote in that it was literally life-changing for them. A few months ago, I got um, an email from a doctor in Georgia who told me that my book helped her get through serious heart surgery, and not because the title is Healing Your Heart. That's about healing your heart wounds, but she found it so inspiring that she says that it helped her recover, and she was connected to a women's health network, Mm. and she asked me to be a speaker for their group, and I was. So I... Over the past couple of years, because of the pandemic, it allowed me to learn how to stay home. I was never home. I never stayed home. But I stayed home for months after I recovered from COVID double pneumonia. I didn't go out of the house for months. I was afraid to leave. And I started getting asked to speak on online conferences. I just did one last week on learning how to love yourself. And I did so many of these that I became like a motivational speaker and a coach people asked me if I would coach them by the hour, and I started doing that for people who contacted me online. Terrific. And it's been very rewarding emotionally to be able to share knowledge and to be able to share your experience. I believe that if God gives you obstacles to overcome, you can either be crushed by them, or if you're lucky enough to overcome them, you're supposed to then help other people who are facing the same problems. How do, and I'm asking this from a selfish perspective because I'm always struggling to balance the different things that I'm trying to do time-wise, how do you manage to find the time to do this coaching business and not have it interfere with everything you're doing comedy-wise, everything you're doing in terms of writing, and everything else you're doing? How do you manage to balance that? I haven't slept in many years. (laughs) (laughs) I slept many years ago when I was much older. Now, I make time. You know, when people say they're too busy, I think it's a time management thing. I do a lot of things. You know, there are some people who don't return your call for several days. They're too busy. There's no such thing, you know, as being too busy to take care of certain things. It's how you manage your day. You know, you can always find time. Even if you just write, I'm very busy, I'll call you later. Mm Mm-hmm. There is always time, you know, like there's a schedule. I'm very left brain and very right brain. So from all my years in practice, I'm very used to scheduling things. My right brain is my creative side, but my left brain is my doctor side. So when I'm, you know, when I'm coaching people in Jerusalem, it's like seven hours later, you know, so I have to schedule. Like it's three o'clock my time, 10 o'clock your time. Right, That's right. all I know. I, and I keep a, a daily log and I, I, I write, I have a book and I put the times in and I just make everything work. 800 848 Jeffrey Gurian is here. Lisa is in Manhattan. Hello, Lisa. Lisa? All right. Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron. Good morning, Frank and Jeffrey. Jeffrey, when I was about 11 years old, I had a mouthful of cavities that I'd never seen a dentist, and I had to get a checkup for school. So my mother found the most reasonable dentist in the neighborhood. He was a little old Jewish concentration camp survivor. In mm. the first session, he used a painkiller. In the next session, he said, I'm going to try something with you. I'm not going to use as much painkiller. If it starts to hurt, you raise your hand. It got to the point where I didn't want to raise my hand. He, he was such an expert at drilling, and I believe that he was probably a dentist in a concentration camp working on Nazis, and if he hurt one of them, he would have ended up in the in the gas chamber. Mm-hmm. But it was just it was such a, a beautiful experience with this dentist. I just loved it. I really enjoyed it. And, it's, and I, I tell people this, and they say you're sick, you know, but uh, I always ask for dentists when I go, can you try not using painkiller? And they, of course, they'll never do that, but it was just a beautiful experience. Well, so, that's a think, great story. No, I think it's a great story. Um, 
And I'm glad to hear that because so many adults are afraid to go to the dentist, and it's usually something that happened to them as a child because a lot of dentists worked on children who had no business working on children. They didn't have the personality for it. I used to work on little kids, and I would show them the needle and make believe that it was a water gun. I'd show them how it squirted, (laughs) and I'd put on tons of topical anesthetic, and they never felt the injection. And I think it's fantastic that you had that experience. You went to Temple for dental school, right? Yes. And uh, I, you know, I had uh, my cousin Andrea went to Temple, not to be a dentist, but she's she's an attorney now. She had a pretty good experience there. I understand you actually got a visit from the dean of that school. What happened? Yeah, it's a crazy story, and it's the kind of thing where you say like that you never know what happens in life. I brought up a picture. I actually sent it to you. I wanted to be a dentist from the time I was 12. And when I finally got into dental school, the very first day, the dean made a speech that to this day sends chills through my body. He said, we don't want any free thinkers here. If you want to be a hippie with a guitar, go to dental school in California. And that started um, four years of being picked on. And I was banned from school hmm. because I grew a mustache. In those days, it was very popular to have a mustache. So the dean put up this letter in the school. I still have a copy of this all these years later. Can I read some of it? Please, yeah. Okay. He says, this is a communication on the subject of hair, which I deem to be of timely importance. The public's current concept of a professional gentleman, especially in the field of health, pictures a clean, neat-shaven, well-dressed person of good manners. Hmm. A century ago, the concept of that era included such items as beards, mustaches, long sideburns, tobacco chewing, greasy black alpaca operating coats, etc. Customs change, and it appears to the more responsible persons that the current concept of a professional gentleman is a marked improvement over that of a century ago. (laughs) So he posts this over the school, and they outlaw mustaches. So they find me... And they start to pick on me from day one. And I got banned from school. I was not allowed to be in the clinic for three weeks. And they told me, I had a, uh, an advisor who said to me that I was a disgrace to the profession. I'll never forget those words. He took me out in the hall. A 21-year-old kid said, I was a disgrace to the profession. It took me many years to get over the way I was treated. I was told that I should drop out of school. Um, there's a certain amount of requirements that you have to fulfill. If you miss even a couple of right. days, you're in trouble. I missed three weeks. They wouldn't even let my father in the clinic wow. for me to work on him. One of the instructors had a Confederate flag in his office and a sign that said, the South will rise again. Well, you told me about him. Yeah, That's and he's why. the guy that made it the roughest for me. And so my mother had to buy me a wig. She sent me a wig to wear, and I went. It was a flat wig with a part, and... <laughs> Oh, oh! Here's the picture. I don't know. Can anybody see this? Can, if I hold it up, uh, you, I have the picture. Maybe we'll, I'll share it on okay. Facebook. As I well. have very short hair. I just had a, a mustache and sideburns, and I was banned from clinic. So, when I when I graduated, I vowed I would never go back to Philadelphia again, and I've never been back in all these years. One day, about well, it was before the pandemic. I get an email. The dean of the school would like to meet with me. I'm thinking, why does he want to meet right. with me? So. Because in my life, I confront uncomfortability. I do everything that makes me nervous to do. Um, it's how I conquer fear. That's the other book I wrote was f- called Fight the Fear, Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. Fear has always been a problem for me, but I never let it stop me. So I agreed to meet with him. He came to New York with a- another dean, and I assumed that they were coming to ask for a donation because I've never had anything to do with the mm-hmm. school. So I brought all this stuff with me. I brought my pictures and I I thought to myself, you know what? This is a good opportunity for me to tell him how poorly I was treated because I expected that when you enter a profession that you're welcomed by the other doctors, not treated like a four-year fraternity hazing. Mm -hmm. I started to tell my story and this kind man interrupted me and he said, I want you to know that those doctors were racist and anti-Semites. And I said, wow. I said, I'm amazed that you would say that before I said it, mm-hmm. that was always on my mind. He goes, they singled you out. They did it to a lot of people, and they ruined the reputation of the school, and we've changed the whole environment of the school, and we would never allow that. He said, and I want you to come, and I want you to tell your story to the students. We're going to send a car for you, 
and we want you to come down and I'll give you a tour of the school and you could tell them what happened to you. And then the pandemic hit and we didn't get a chance to do that. But he had me give a series of lectures to the students on, he said, I want you to talk about changing frustration to enjoyable and hate to love. And he said to me, can you ever believe that the dean of the school that treated you like that would, would be in your life as a friend? And he actually said to me, can I give you a hug after the lunch? And I said, absolutely. I said, this is amazing. So last week, another dean came to meet me in New York. They want to create a comedy club in the dental school. A comedy club a comedy, in the dental school? Named after me. And I'm like, are you kidding? And uh, of course, they want me to be involved in, in raising money to have it happen. I'm like, who's going to go to a comedy club in a dental school? And they said, because the students are under so much stress, and there's a medical school nearby and an optometry school. Most importantly, there's laughing gas nearby. Laughing gas. And they say that they think it would be a very popular thing to have the Jeffrey Gurian Comedy Club. That's terrific. In Temple Dental Congratulations. School. Congratulations. So isn't that interesting? Now, when you get a call from, from a gentleman like that, especially when you're thinking that the lunch is going to go one way and then it ends up going another, thankfully. But when you get a call that someone like that is going to take you to lunch— and you get to pick the place. Do you pick a super expensive place for lunch? Do you pick a moderately priced place for lunch? Do That's you pick a cheaper so place? That's so interesting. Do you know what? I chose Michael's. Oh, okay. You're That's with Michael's. very pricey. But it's a very, it's a very special place. And I wanted the dean to experience that place because she had never been to New York before. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great place. And I said, you know what? Because, and she said, I'm going to leave it to you. And I said, you know, um, I've been to Michael's several times, and it's a power lunch place. Oh, yeah. No, you look at every table. Somebody's a somebody. And, and so I wanted her to have a New York experience. And so that's why I go there, and they welcome me. And, you know, they call you before. They confirm, oh, like no, a doctor's that's, office. That's, that's you, a big you, deal. You have to leave your cell number, and you can't just go in there and say that. So I made the reservation. She was going to make it, and I said, you know what? Let me do it to make sure because I didn't want her to get turned away because mm-hmm. if they don't know you, right. you can't exactly. get a table, really. So I went over myself, and I made the reservation, and she thanked me. She said she had the best time. Oh, I'm sure. And the I'm food sure. was amazing, and the service is incredible. The food is always great there. They, I did, they, uh, last time I was there, I ordered a Negroni with Bombay Sapphire, and they charged an extra $3 for the Bombay Sapphire. That's the kind of spot that it is. They're very, very, very particular over there. Very But uh, it's a great spot. That's great. Uh, all right. We're going to continue with Jeffrey Green in a minute. We're going to continue to take your calls at 800-848-9222. And we have some fun news stories from the Gurian News Network that we're going to bring to your attention as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano here with Jeffrey Gurian. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Some advice on how you can be happy. We have the world's foremost authority on happiness, Jeffrey Gurian. He's a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a host, an author, producer, director, and a former dentist. Uh, He's writing books at a rate that's faster than I can read them. If you want to learn more about uh, what he's doing, you can watch the documentary that I just posted. It's a very short documentary, but it's great. Uh, Watch it after the show. Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian? It's on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. You can go to ComedyMattersTV.com, or you could search Jeffrey Gurian on Amazon and check out any of the terrific books that he has on there. Uh, Let me say a quick hello to Andy in Maryland. Hello, Andy. Hey, how you doing? We're doing great, Andy. What's on your mind? Uh, I I just wanted to say thank you for this inspirational uh, program tonight. That really speaks to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm facing some rough times myself, and it's nothing compared to uh, you know anybody else that you've spoken about. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's a big deal to me. And um, just wanted to say thank you. You know what? I'm so glad to hear you say that because 
men don't like to talk about things like that, and they should. And I talk about that a lot, about sensitivity. A lot of men don't want to talk about their feelings and how things affect them. They think it detracts from their masculinity, and it's exactly the opposite. It's very important that men are able to talk about things like that. Uh, it, it doesn't threaten you at all. It just makes you more of a man. So I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Good luck with everything that you're going through. Keep listening. Keep calling in from time to time. Bob is in Manhattan. Hello, Bob. Hey, good morning. I'm enjoying your show, and I wanted to talk about one of the greatest stutterers of all time that became one of the greatest voices in radio, TV, and movies was James Earl Jones. He overcame that problem. He had a tremendous problem with stuttering. Mm-hmm. I didn't also, know that. Stutter, yeah, yeah. yeah, stutterers sing a lot to get over that. Also, reading out loud is also very important huh. because most stutterers don't stutter when they read out loud. Yeah, well, maybe that's why we he spent so much time reading the New Jersey Bell Yellow Pages, right? <laughs> uh, thank you, Bob. I didn't know. I did not know that, uh, Jeffrey. You were the progenitor of GNN. GNN is now a global news phenomenon, bigger than CNN, <laughs> bigger than CNN Plus, yeah. bigger than Newsmax, Fox News, and uh, CNBC combined. The motto of the Gurian News Network, GNN, is all the news that's fit to dance to. Uh, It was the inspiration and the source material for one of your many books, Man Robs Bank with His Chin and Other Unusual Stories Missed by Mainstream Media. Now, Jeffrey, it's not unusual for a lot of people that listen to talk radio to become accustomed to uh, media bias and putting a certain spin on the news of the day. But the kind of news stories that you have in this book and which you profile regularly on the Gurian News Network, forget about media bias. These are news stories that have been completely omitted from every news source. Completely overlooked. And I feel that it's terrible. And that's why I wrote this book. And it was the precursor to The Onion. As a matter of fact, the foreword to the book was written by the man who who created The Onion, Scott Dickers, a very famous writer who created The Onion, and I was told by The Onion that Weekly World News, where I used to have a column, it was called Gurian's World of the Bazaar, uh, was the precursor to The Onion, and it inspired them. Terrific. So well, they have got a great big honor. case uh, before the Supreme Court. I'm eager to see how that, uh, how that uh, comes out. Well, give us a couple of stories from the Gurian News Network that people might have missed if they're paying attention to the rest of the news media. No, uh, man removes own appendix using beer as anesthetic. Ah, See, uh-huh. he, he had watched many medical shows, and he <laughs> diagnosed himself as having appendicitis. And his mother used to clean hospital rooms. And together, they thought that gave them enough experience to remove <laughs> his own appendix. <laughs> so they set up an, an ironing board and did the surgery. He used the little, you know, those little forks they use for shrimp cocktail? <laughs> right. he, he grabbed his appendix with that. And he actually used dental floss to sew himself up. That's great. And he's doing well now. Doing great. That's and, great. And he wants to teach it in hospitals. But a, a famous surgeon said that surgery is not a party game. He said it's supposed to be done by trained surgeons, not by drunk men with their mothers. <laughs> so, you know, it's a great lesson. Um, elderly man tours Europe on pogo stick. Oh, this okay. Is very, That's creative. Armin Karuji, 87 years old, wears a tuxedo, by the way, when he, when he travels on a pogo stick. Across the entire continent now, of that's Europe. that's impressive. And, well, you know what? And he feels that athletes don't dress well enough. He said, you know, they're wearing jeans and sport jacket. I, I mean, uh, uh, sneakers. He feels that they should at least wear a sport jacket, which is why it's called a sport jacket. Right. Exactly. You're supposed to be wearing it during sports. That's what, that's what he says. 87 years old. You can't go wrong. That's true. I'm going to have to try that the next time I'm playing softball. Wear a sports jacket. That's pretty good. Allergic archaeologist accidentally blows his nose in priceless tissue. <laughs> now, they discovered a tissue from the time of Jesus, one of the first tissues that was created. And, and he was so excited. that you know, and, But he caught a cold from being out on the desert. Sure, makes sense, right? And he was so excited when they found this tissue that he sneezed and accidentally used the priceless tissue to his, you know, to catch the sneeze. So was the tissue ruined? Uh, that'd be a real bummer if that's terrible. The case. He said. He said only once before something like that happened when a drunken archaeologist accidentally urinated in a pair of pants from the Stone Age. <laughs> they found the first pair of pants in the world, and he accidentally ruined them. So many stories. Pilot 
pilot attempts transatlantic flight using only his beard to control the plane. <laughs> you know the kind of neck muscles you have? Like, I can't, that can't you have imagine. To have? Well, you know, there, I had a great story on uh, man paints replica of the Sistine Chapel with his beard. A lot of beard stories. Yeah, well, I had no idea beards could be so versatile. Well, you know, this guy had a be- a very long, like a three foot beard, and he would, uh, like he he would, uh, what do you call it? Mold it into a point. He actually used it as a cane sometimes to support himself. And um, these days, a lot of guys have beards, but they're not the long kind that you can right, use for right, painting. Right, right. You know, this guy actually painted a replica of the Sistine Chapel laying on his back. Amazing. The kind of neck muscles that you need for that is incredible. I'm amazed that these stories have not gotten more mainstream press attention. What do you think that's about? Why do you think the mainstream press is ignoring all these stories or missing these stories? Well, it's hard for them to find, first of all. I scour the world. Uh Man loses legs to tight pants. These are stories (laughs) that a lot of people don't, you know, they just don't hear them. Now, the Weekly World News, where you had a column, they were uh, probably one of the most reputable uh, news sources around. They don't print anymore. Do they do anything online anymore? Yeah, they haven't. They have, well, supposedly, the last that I heard, they had an, uh, an online presence, uh-huh. but no longer in print, which I miss. Me I had, too. Me too. I used, to, I used to love writing for them. It was one of the best... Best times of my – a big honor, first of all, to have my own column because they said to me, your stories are so unique that you must have your own column. They they build themselves as the world's only reliable newspaper. And I think if you look at what's in their paper and what's in some of the other papers, they might be on to something. Where um, else would you find stories like tap dancing for the criminally insane, (laughs) right? uh, You know, at a – what do you call it? At a home for the criminally insane in France, they realized that if they could get these violent criminals to tap dance, that that it, it quieted them down. They think it's the vibration of their feet hitting the ground. <laughs> and there's one – they had this one cannibal, Roland Bife. He said, if only I, if only I hadn't eaten my parents – I could have been the next Monsieur Bojangles. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, so. the hour has flown by, as it always does whenever we're together. I want to encourage everybody to check out some of your work at ComedyMattersTV.com. Uh, to wa- encourage people to watch that documentary, which is on my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And uh, if you search Gurian on Amazon, G-U-R-I-A-N, you get some of Jeffrey's great books. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure to be on with you. The, the, Can't wait till the next time. The pleasure is all mine. A lot of other interesting stuff to get to for the next three hours. Keep asking questions.